Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I am Jessica, and I have with me today Leah Arapoach. She is from New York, but currently lives in Oakland, California, and she is not just into welding. She also is into forging, and she does metal art. Um, Leah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to Weld.com, like what kind of educational background you had? Sure. Um, So when I was 18, I went straight into art school um, and I kind of had to trick my parents into letting me go by uh, claiming that my major was going to be architecture. But uh, (laughs) within like a month of being there, I had switched my major to painting and uh, had stayed on that course for about three years until Mm -hmm. I started dabbling in sculpture. Um, And then uh, as I became more and more enamored with uh, working in 3D, being able to kind of uh, you know, work with my whole body and stuff. They put me in front of a welder and that was kind of game over. Um, and I was at SCAD at the time. And then I, I transferred to Academy of Art University um, and quickly switched my major to sculpture and then specialized in metal sculpture for the rest of my time there. Nice. So, well, you technically didn't tell a fib though, because in architecture you do draw. So it kind of, I'm still building things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just what you're building. So what did you end up doing right out of school? Um, so uh, basically I think the best thing to do when you get out of art school is to get into a shop and start getting paid to learn um, because when I was at Academy and I was taking metal art uh, classes, um, there's only so much you can really learn and you're just building sculpture. Um, So as I left Academy, I started working for a man named Brian Martin and it was a commercial shop and he was doing mostly custom furniture and architectural stuff, some railings and things like that. But, um, he is a genius fabricator and sort of within the three years I worked for him, he turned me into the fabricator I am today. Um, and yeah, after building hundreds of tables and beds and uh, chairs and everything, um, was able to start really focusing on my sculpture and uh, came to it with like a completely different skill set that I, that I even left art school with really. Mm-hmm. So did you like, whenever you were working there and you were working in, in the fab shop, were you doing your own art on the side? Yeah, because Brian was really cool. Um, and when I started working for him, he almost immediately gave me a key to his shop and was like, when whenever you're not working you're more than welcome to build your work here um which is really unusual and was extremely generous because in i live in the bay area it's really expensive to have a shop here um and it's really hard to do that when you first graduate art school and you don't have any of the equipment or anywhere to park it you know um so that really gave me the opportunity to build my work on the weekends. 
Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your type of work because that was one of the reasons I wanted to reach out to you. Um, you were on the Metal Shop Masters show and I've had a couple of the other contestants on, but you guys, the reason I've reached out to you guys so far is because you've been all very different and your kind of art is more contemporary, but you also have like this dark side of art. I kind of told you that it kind of gives me like Beetlejuice vibes, especially with <laughs> the, um, like the flowers and then also like um, your tiny monsters. I saw that you were in a gallery show in May and you had made like a set of like tiny monsters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that, that gallery is really sweet because it's actually attached to a metal shop where they have like a few power hammers and like one of the most beautiful hammer collections I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I started, I, I think that, uh, it was hard for me to conceive of sort of creating my own anatomy because when you start getting into making monsters, you're inventing anatomy and that's really hard to do. Um, and so I started with like a series of insects that were being executed in various different ways. Um, and sort of as I got more and more um, confident with my technical skills, was able to start venturing into some more unusual shapes and forms. Um, and I've always loved monsters and I'm a big sci-fi nerd. So, uh, you know, it was, it was only a matter of time before I started creating my own creatures and my own sort of universe. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I'm so fascinated with, uh, both flora and fauna, to be honest. I mean, nature is like the most incredible artist of all, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, I go between um, animals and flowers and, uh, w you know, whatever suits me at the moment. Right now I'm making a pitcher plant monster, but I am feeling some big spider energy coming on. So I, I think my next couple pieces are going to be some weird spiders. Nice. Yeah, you had, I think you did have a spider in the tiny monsters, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. And I re I'm really fond of that piece. And it actually didn't come home. It sold. Um, so I'm going to revisit that guy because that was a really fun build. So tell me a little bit more about the pitcher plant because I see you use that hashtag quite a bit on your page. Mm -hmm. And I see that you do variations of that quite often. What do you think draws you to that the most? I mean they they're they're plants that eat animals <laughs> I, I i think that uh a lot of my work is exploring the idea of approaching something and not really understanding it you know um and and trying to assess the threat level um so a lot of the work that i'm doing right now is about you know, kind of feeling like you've got, you've landed on this planet and you're not really sure if you need to be concerned for like the, the flora and fauna that you're encountering. Um, and I think it really is, it wraps around a lot of feelings of like, things aren't always as they seem. And that is probably something that's really disturbing to me. So I keep hashing it out in, in my work, but the pitcher plant is kind of like, it's not a, it's not a far cry from what it actually is on 
you know, earth. <laughs> like they are very, very strange and fascinating plants. Um, and I just, I'm re I really gravitate towards the figure of them too. And I think that, I mean, admittedly, like I, I'm starting to get into more blacksmithing techniques and uh, that for some reason, that particular form and how it has to be shaped and built is uh, something I really enjoy. Like I like making cones out of sheet and, and so I think that I, I keep making them because I also just find them really fun to build. Yeah, I could kind of tell that, that you probably liked the flow of it. Yeah. Like what it ends up looking at, like at the end, like it, it looks very satisfying, like the finished product. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, uh, there are certain things that I just have come to understand about, uh, like approaching different forms and, you know, there's a lot of, um, you can achieve a lot of attention uh, or attention uh, by like having one side be very large and it tapering down in a very dramatic way like that will create tension or things that have a very smooth surface and then like a focused detail will create tension and it'll make you feel a certain way about what you're looking at so i think that i'm i'm definitely trying now more so than ever to really push my forms into a place where they make you feel a certain way you know yeah. And you, it would probably be interesting to do ones and try it, elicit different emotions within a set of them. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I built like a, a pretty elaborate pitcher plant, um, like the Nepenthes, not the, not the super tall one, but the one that kind of, um, is more squat and, uh, I, I had every intention of doing an entire series of that particular character doing different things. And I had, mm -hmm. you know, these very angsty uh, gestures. And I, I think that is 100% um, like a, a good observation and definitely something that I'm teeing up. You know, I, I keep trying it and I'm not quite ready. And so it's like, it's something that uh, is just always in the mix in my mind, how I can get more and more, uh, um, variety of like communication out of the same forms, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, for sure. I'm interested to see that come from you. I know that it will come, so I will just keep paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited and I, you, I just know that I can't force it. So I yeah. have to keep revisiting it over time, you know? Yeah. And then you did another really cool piece. I don't know how to say this. I'm, I'm not going to try and butcher it. It was like glor gloriosa. Something? Oh, Glor yeah, Gloriosa Pugna. Um, okay. I, yeah, you know, just these names—they're—they're they're killing me. Actually, um, I didn't really think about it at the time <clears throat> um, that it would like not be super wise to name things in non-English, since I don't speak Latin, and most people don't speak Latin. And um, the idea was to sort of give them these scientific names. Um, but I struggle with them too. I really do. And I, I, I don't know. I think I need to start giving them code names, but anyways, that, that piece was, um, well, I was just sort of thinking about a fight between two flowers and, um, I, I don't know, like I'm really, I'm really inspired by this particular illustrator. His name is Gerald Scarf. Um, he did 
a lot of the illustrations for the Pink Floyd album, The Wall. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I think that like his work has been really formative to me. And I, I always like that idea of anthropomorphizing uh, plants and trying to get them to interact in these like dynamic and, and sort of sinister ways, you know? Yeah. So the, what, that one piece that we just talked about, um, you actually had that in a museum. Yeah, that, that just came back. Um, that was at the Museum of Museums in Seattle, Washington, which is a, a really cool museum. And the first one <clears throat> that I actually got to visit and see my work in person in a museum. And um, it, I'm glad it was I'm glad it was that museum because it's so rad. But um, yeah, that piece was there for quite some time in a show called Good Witch, Bad Witch, um, where the, the idea of the show was sort of predicated on this um, sense that were, uh, were we back in like, you know, Salem days, like uh, mm -hmm. most of the artists that were curated into the show would have probably been uh, burned at the stake for being witches. So... <clears throat> It looked really cool. I loved that one. I was like looking through all of your work and I loved that piece. I I do too. And I think that uh, that's not always the case, you know? Um, and I, I think it's kind of cool. Some of my pieces that I'm less connected to are like some people's absolute favorites. And um, it was nice to kind of have some space from that piece. And when it just came back from the, the museum, I've been able to look at it again for... Um, it's, it had been a while and uh, yeah, I just kind of became enamored with it and was like, I, you know, this is such an interesting and dynamic piece. And uh, I'm trying to get better at like videoing um, my sculptures in the round because mm -hmm. photos just flatten them out and you, you don't really get a sense of how dynamic some of these pieces can be, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so what do you currently do? Are you making art full time in your studio? And do you kind of, do you do what you want to do? Or do you take like, can people ask you for certain things? Like, how does that work? Um, <clears throat> I think like all artists, <laughs> I prefer that people just buy a sculpture that I've built. Um, mm -hmm. But <clears throat> I think historically, I was really not open to commissions. Um, for like a lack of confidence that I could actually um, understand what people wanted from me. Um, and I, I prefer to make my work. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, if somebody came to me and said, I really like, you know, this pitcher plant piece, but I, I would love just like a single pitcher or, you know, something like that. I think, I, I think that if I were interested, if I were going to go down that road with somebody, it would have to be that they were kind of already responding to an existing piece and just sort of wanted something smaller and more affordable, which is something that I'm very, I'm, I'm like making it my mission these days to make more affordable work, you know? Right. Um, so I have some exciting news. Lincoln Electric, you guys know, they offer everything you need for welding and cutting, filler metals, automation, weld fume control, and safety and PPE needs. We've partnered with them so that we could give you guys some promo codes to use. Weld.com 10 will give you 10% off equipment, and Weld.com 20 will get you 20% off gear and accessories. Weld.com is spelled out. W-E-L-D-D-O-T 
C-O-M, and then you just add the 10 or the 20. And these codes are valid until December 31st of this year, 2021. And they are valid only at store.lincolnelectric.com. And be sure to share on social media using hashtag WeldRedNation. So uh, I'm open to it. I'm, I'm definitely not going to say no. Uh, but uh, I think I would be pretty particular about what I would take on. Just just for the sake of, you know, my I'm, you know, I'm a nuts artist that's making monsters like there's there's like a compulsion in my process and in my design um, where if I let someone in like they have to be simpatico with me because otherwise it's you know I I just lose my sense of purpose in the sculpture. I hear you there that makes sense though because from like the an artist perspective I know that there are certain tattoo artists that are like that. Like even here locally in Pittsburgh, my husband wanted something whenever um, his father passed away, he wanted something very specific and it was like a religious kind of tattoo. And we found this um, one woman who's super good in Pittsburgh and we emailed her and she was like, no, like I'm currently not accepting any of that work. I only like to do lifelike portraits. you know what I mean? Like you can't tell her and like, even then, if you try and get in this woman's like book of business, she's like, I'm booked out for a year and I have to approve what you send. Like, so I get it. Like that there are artists, like that's why you chose to do that. Cause you want to make what you want to make. And that's what makes it enjoyable for you. You know? Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's a privilege for me to be able to be like, well, I, you know, I'd rather just sell things off the shelf. And I, I will also say that like, I don't recommend that like young artists do this. Um, <clears throat> I think you should be forced to do a lot of stuff you don't want to do. Um, I mean, I kind of, I kind of went down that road with commercial fabrication and it's not necessarily that I didn't want to do the work. It's just, if you're going to be pushed out of your comfort zone and truly learn new techniques and new skills, it's probably going to be on stuff that's not your like your mainstay and like the right. things that are directly in your lane. And I feel like I did um, a lot of experimenting within the commercial realm um, that that helped me become the artist that I am. So I certainly don't want to encourage young artists to just be um, steadfast in what they think is like what, you know, their, their one methodology of, of work, you know? No, I think it's perfect how you explained it. I feel like the experience you would have got in, in being a fabricator is that you would have learned time constraints. You would have had to do things you didn't want to do, but that would have helped you to find things that you might not know that you liked. And then you ended up, you did like it. You know what I mean? Like how you said, like, even from doing sculptures, but then doing it and using welding, you know what I mean? Like if you would have never been like, you know, like, I don't want to be a welder. I'm not going to use it. You could have dismissed that, but you didn't, you know what I mean? So I think as long as you're like having a willingness to learn that a fabrication shop is going to be good because they have a variety of work too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that it's, you know, I, I think that I almost, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like I almost missed maybe my, my, my true passion in life as a, a metal artist and really like fa- a fabricator. Like I mm-hmm. love fabricating. That's mm-hmm. my jam. Um, 
if I had continued to tell myself the story that like, I am a painter, you know, yeah. like I spent years in art school painting and I don't paint at all anymore, you know? Um, so it's like, you know, especially when you're young and starting out, like that cross-disciplinary experimentation, trying new things, it's so important because that's how you sort of fine tune um, well, build your skills and your craft, but fine tune, like what you're most interested in, where you want to like invest your money and your equipment, because you really like this and not that, you know, um, and that, that definitely like, you have to keep yourself open, but also be paying attention to like what, what's really driving you and what, what you're really responding to in the shop, you know? Mm -hmm. So you said something interesting to me. You said whenever you went on to Metal Shop Masters that you thought you were going to know most of the competitors and it turned out that you didn't. And then you ended up making, you know, a group of great friends, which I love about all of you guys. I see how supportive you are of each other. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, so what is your local makers community like there? Well, I, you know, in I, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Oakland is a is a pretty big hub for metal artists. Um, and um, it's not that we all hang out with one another, like, but there's a there's a huge Burning Man contingent here. So there's people making huge metal sculptures and like teams. Um, there's also like a, a big contingent of um, fabrication shops and uh, then there's, you know, a lot of artist blacksmiths that are like OG California blacksmiths in the mix too. So I, I kind of bounce around, but um, ironically, like I, I feel like I've, I, I spend, I'm definitely uh, building more of a community community around blacksmiths um, mm -hmm. and, you know, going to, I, I, maybe it's because we have events like California Blacksmith Association, their spring conference where you can go and meet a bunch of people. Um, I, I know that on the fabrication side, like there's events like FabTech, but um, the, the blacksmithing events are usually like, you know, camping in a tent and drinking beers and hanging out and people are, you know, foraging late into the night. And it's, um, it's a, a bit more laid back and like conducive to socialization and like meeting new people and stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, I have found that I, I hang out with a, a lot of blacksmiths in the Bay Area. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you said you just went to the makers camp and you met my friend Craig. Yes, I did. He is a trip. <laughs> I really enjoyed him. Um, I enjoyed a lot of people there. There were a lot like that is a that is an event to go to. Um, this was the second year they did it in person. Um, mm -hmm. And it was such a blast and such an amazing experience. And that you know, that's, that's actually a good point. Like a lot of the people that I had met there. Um, I had been developing friendships with through Instagram. And I, I think that that's a big part of like my community is actually on Instagram. So mm -hmm. I'm talking to, you know, metal artists all over the country, all around the world. Um, and so uh, having an opportunity to actually meet up with a lot of those people in person was so rad. It was a blast. Yeah. So in your area, do you, are there like any spaces, like are there those maker spaces where people go and like you can um, 
use different kinds of equipment and stuff like that, like in the space, like where you rent a space or something like that, or you rent time in the space? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, you know, they, there's a few that have come and go over the years, but one that's pretty like solid and, and uh, has become such an institution in Oakland is the Crucible. Um, and they offer a lot of classes and um, they also rent shop space, I believe. And like, you can take a class there. And as soon as you pass like forging one, then you can go in and use the forging equipment. Um, so it, it's giving people uh, an avenue to sort of get into it without the commitment of like, opening up your own shop, you know, yeah. or, or even like, you know, getting a fabrication job, like some people just want to do this as a hobby too, you know, um, and so you have you have a big range of people that are really interested in uh, metal fabrication, welding, blacksmithing, machining, um, and you know they also have a day job, you know. So there's th that whole contingent of people that are just um, interested in playing around with it, enjoying it in their free time. It's a good place for them to go and do that without like a huge commitment, you know. Yeah. Cause I know that it's expensive. Like we've, I've had, um, this brought up a few times, like, you know, you're maybe out of, out of school or you decide you might want to do something as a hobby that it's really expensive to just decide like, Hey, I'm going to go buy like, you know, a thousand dollar welder. I don't yeah. know how to use it. I don't know what I need to go with it and all of that. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I thought I was, uh, having a hard time as a fabricator, but when you get it, when you start, like, I, I think that that's why for the longest time I refused to forge because I didn't have the money or resources to buy a whole other set of equipment, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and blacksmithing equipment is expensive. Like right now I'm, I need a power hammer and those are like $10,000, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> they get to be pretty expensive. And, um, and uh, for for whatever reason, like on the West Coast, like a lot of blacksmithing equipment didn't quite make its way out West. So uh, things like anvils and, and swage blocks and all these things that you require that are like extremely heavy uh, are uh, not as readily available out here. So like you have to get all that stuff shipped in. It's it's expensive. It's expensive to, to pivot. Like I'm learning that right now as I'm having to outfit like a whole nother skill set in the shop. And it's like, I, I'm lucky that my, my one shop mate and good friend Jay Morgan is a bladesmith and he had a lot of stuff. And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it just, it goes on and on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> as, so, as far as what you mean. So you work with him. Um, well, we just actually collaborated on our first project together for Maker Camp. Yeah, um, I saw we, that. I was wondering yeah. who it was. I didn't know if he was a friend of yours and you guys were just like working on something just like for a special project or if that was somebody that you worked with on a regular basis. No, yeah. I mean, like, um, Jay is a very close friend, but he's also uh, one, of, one of my three shop mates. And uh, him and I have kind of over the years really like partnered up and um, uh, we sort of approach our own shop spaces as like a communal, like we're just trying to be pragmatic with the limited amount of space that we yeah. have. And so we've been pooling resources and sharing equipment and and acquiring equipment together for a couple of years now. Um, so we're like, 
we're like brother and sister, but we're also like bound by our equipment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, and Jay, you know, he, he's the guy that got me in front of a forge. Like, it, like he deserves a lot of credit for dealing with my stubborn ass for years, like fabricating these super complicated shapes and just forcing myself to like weld and grind and splice and he was just like, you can throw that in the fire and make that shape. You can make a crazier shape, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, it took it took some convincing, but he's, yeah, he's the guy that finally got me in front of a forge. And, uh, and you know, within a few months, it became like this completely indispensable uh, part of my artistic process. So, yeah. That's wild. Because I can, like, when you say that, I can picture him standing there watching you do something for hours. <laughs> And looking at yeah. you and being like, you could have done that in like 15 minutes. Do you want me to show you yet? Yeah. Well, you know, I am also on like the, uh, <laughs> it's so true, poor Jay. <laughs> I am also on like the cusp too, where it's like, I have, uh, I, I guess, I, I'm, I don't know, I'm not going to do the math, but like something like 10 years of experience in like everyday fabrication, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, only like probably, uh, I don't know, let's, let's be generous and say 200 hours of, of, uh, forging, not, not even probably yeah. half of that. And, you know, one class worth of experience on that side. So, yeah. um, there is still a lot of times where like, it's faster for me to fabricate something than it is for me to forge it, you know? And, yeah. um, uh, and I, you know, if you give me the option and say, they're both going to be just the same amount of time. I will pick fabrication every time because I I love those processes. But mm -hmm. um, I, I'm hoping that if I develop my skills and take more classes and get more educated on the process and uh, practice more, that that will actually become, you know, blacksmithing will always become the faster way to do something. And, you know, the fabrication gets to be like the the cake even though i i love to grind i'm such a weirdo um but uh you know i i don't need to do it for hours and hours and hours a day if i can help it you know yeah that's funny <laughs> so do you have like as i'm trying to understand a different perspective from a metal artist so like what kind of goals do you set like whenever that's your business obviously like you can't really set a goal like I'm going to make this much money. You have like kind of a different set of goals. Like maybe you have like um, a specific place, like you want to have your work on display or, or you're yeah. trying to reach, you know, limits, you know, or break boundaries, you know, and learn new skills and be able to do new things. Like what are some goals that you have for yourself as a metal artist? Um, <clears throat> well, I'd say like a year ago, I was like, it would be so cool to get on a podcast, <laughs> yeah. you know, so like things are things are moving quickly. But I, I think that uh, I mean, as an artist, you just you want to get your work out there, you want to have a big audience, because that means that you're communicating and connecting with people, right? So like, mm -hmm. just on a very basic level, like, if you feel like you are um, able to share your work with a, a broad audience of people that's really rad and like you could kind of just say at the end of the day like yeah I did my job as an artist um but beyond that um ha having gone through the art school experience myself um and 
having benefited from a ton of uh, like super egalitarian and generous mentors along the way. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, it's, it's not something that's like an instantaneous goal for me. Um, but I would love to be a mentor at some point and uh, be able to pay it back to the community and help young metal sculptors uh, uh, start to get on their path to achieving their goals the way that I was helped by so many um, and maybe help them bypass some of the super expensive art school experience yeah. um, as well you know that's awesome I was gonna ask you that next I was gonna ask if you had any desire to like teach classes or to maybe find like um, maybe like go to of art school or something like that there and maybe you could even find like students who might want to do something like you know how sometimes they have to do like summer internships or whatever like maybe you could find someone to come work with you like maybe just take even one at first and see how it goes because I feel like that would be a really great thing for you because maybe it would help push you and you could inspire someone else yeah I, and uh I mean I look back at my main mentor, Brian Martin, um, and I just think about how unbelievable he was at conveying information. Like, uh, he, he was so aware of everything that was going on on such a micro detail level that like, he could look at me as I was sanding something and be like, okay, push the grinder further in and tilt it back because, you know, the sandpaper is now crowning and I can see that based on, and it should feel like this and the spark should go in these different directions, like just so micro detailed. And it was so, it really made me the fabricator that I am. I'm intimidated. <laughs> I feel like I owe it to, to the, um, you know, the, the future, um, students that I might have to be able to do that. And yeah. um, I have a lot of learning left to do my, I mean, I'll be learning for the rest of my life and not yeah. know it all. But um, I think that this has come up a few times now. And it's starting to make me think about it. Like, what, what would it mean to do a workshop or a yeah. class or a demonstration? And, you know, I've always sort of been intimidated by the idea of that, because um, I feel like my, a lot of my process is just like loud grinding where it's really hard to explain what I'm doing or why. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to, uh, well, I'll, I'll just say that like I have a, a, a friend, like a couple that um, friends of mine that uh, they're both blacksmiths and their daughter is getting interested in metal art and she may very well be the first uh, nice. like protege uh, yeah. that I have if she's still interested when it's time. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that is definitely because of who they are and because I love them, um, like I will be taking that very seriously. And so I have been starting to think about what it would mean to convey the information that I have to someone else. Cause I, I do feel, I genuinely, uh, I, you know, I can say that I, I hear a lot from people, oh, it's inconceivable how you're building these sculptures. I have no idea how you do it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to try to like tease apart, like the what's proprietary, like design work versus like, yeah. what could I actually tell people like technique wise? And it's like, I, I you know, I can tell you that 
although I think I'm a decent fabricator, like I'm not using mega sophisticated techniques in the fabrication realm to build my sculptures. So I think I could definitely teach somebody how to build like this. Yeah. yeah. And inspire them to make their own stuff, I think, as long yeah. as they're not, I think you'll be fine because you'll just have to like explain like, okay, we're going to do this step. And then like, obviously you won't talk during the grinding part because you wouldn't be able to hear what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But why yeah. maybe try the approach of like, this is like what I'm making and like maybe find someone who make it a part of your class that they would have to kind of sketch what they're going to do. So you could kind of understand like what they're seeing and then help them kind of bring it to life instead of teaching them to make exactly what you make, because I see what you're saying too. Um, I think it was um, Barbie, the welder. I talked to her several months ago. Do you know her? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah she, so she said like that she may have somebody come underneath of her at one point, but she would never want to teach someone to do exactly what she does. She would want to help somebody learn to do what they want to do and like pull it out of them kind of. So you kind of sound like you guys are similar in that aspect. <laughs> like, like, you know, the little like worm guy that you made. He kind of Which, looked like a worm, I think. Like it looked like one of those sandworm kind of characters. Yeah, I think I think I know which one you're talking. I think I'm looking at it right now, but I'm not entirely. Is it like coming up out of like the yes. water or something? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like something like that, like you could explain that, but then like have them draw it how they see it and, you know, maybe yeah. make a story behind it. I think that is so cool. And I think that, that you would maybe get people that are artists to try metal art that way because then they would see like, oh, I can tell a story with metal. Yeah, you know, I think you you raise a really good point that like, you know, it, it would probably not even serve anyone interested in learning how to build uh, a sculpture to watch me build one of my own sculptures, like, it would be great if somebody came to me and said, I want to build this. And I go, all right, well, let's, you know, let's take it one step at a time and mm -hmm. build it, you know, yeah. and let me show you how to achieve, you know, the forms. And because I think that that's a big part of it is like, there's, there's a real crossover. Um, like, you have to be good at both. Like, you can't just be a good fabricator. You can't just be a good sculptor. Like, you have to figure out how to make those forms out of, uh, like, a really difficult material that doesn't want to doesn't want to be organic. And it has, mm -hmm. like, intense memory. And, um, you know, it's not as easy as just squeezing a ball of clay. But you can treat steel like clay if you know how to, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I love that for you to have somebody that you can help reach that point, you know, that they would have yeah. something of their own style, like just how you stood out completely different to me than Ivan did. You know, he's more kinetics and negative yeah. space and things like that. And um, even like Ray Ripple, you know, and how she freehands with the plasma cutter and stuff. And then all of you guys were so different. It was, it was, yeah. that's what I loved the most. And I'm so happy that they did have that show because now so many people got to meet all of you guys and we get to see all of your different perspectives and whoever selected the people for that show really had a good I, you know, that they didn't pick yeah. people who were all so similar. Like, I think it was a really great variety of people. 
I, I thought I completely agree with you. And I mean, I joked uh, after having gotten to know, like when we all like did our avatar, I was like, oh man, I feel bad for the judges because how do you judge? Like we are all so incredibly different. It's yeah. like judging apples versus oranges versus grapes versus kiwis. Like there's just no, I mean, it was so hard to, you know, see a, a continuity. And I think that that's the awesome thing about metal sculpture. Like everyone has their own approach to it and everyone gets something else something different out of it I mean like look at Frank like his passion and his like mm -hmm. emotions just like it's an it's an emotional outlet for him and for Ivan I think that like it's a it's a way for him to explore his curiosities and like for Tom it's like it's all about like his passion for uh cars and racing and like that's just it, it's I think it was really cool because I mean you know I I didn't really have any expectations from the show or much that I wanted to get out of it, but something that I did find that I really did think was important was that like, you know, young aspiring metal artists can see all these different representations so that like, you know, it's easier to identify with somebody on the screen um, when they're also, when we're, there's seven completely different people, you know, yeah. um, and different artists. And I think that that was, uh, I, I hope that that, um, that will create, you know, more, more interest from a, a, like a wider group of people and, uh, and help them realize that they can, they can do it too, if they want. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah. I'm, it was my pleasure. I, I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Can you tell everybody where they can find you so they can look at your Instagram and if you have a website so they can check out your work? Yeah. Um, so m most of my stuff is just my full name. Uh, my Instagram is Leah Arapach, L-E-A-H-A-R-I-P-O-T-C-H. And uh, my website is leaharapach.com. Okay, perfect. All right. I'm sure we might get some questions, I think, after posting this just because of how different I think your technique is and your style. And um, I hope that people will reach out to you and. Oh yeah, please do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until next time, guys, thank you so much. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, Hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.